bring outside influences into the classroom. So number one, outside industry, bring a toy company in, bring a, a company that's local in your town or community and to talk to the students to explain what goes on in a business every day to show how the, all the different parts and pieces are working for that company to show the students how those things all go together into one business so that kids could understand, even though they have English, math, science, physics, or whatever in a day, and they're like, how are these all related? Bringing industry into your classroom is really great to actually show them to do that. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Matthew Worwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This is the Fueling Creativity in Education podcast. On this podcast, we'll be talking about various creativity topics and how they relate to the field of education. We'll be talking with scholars, educators, and resident experts about their work, challenges they face, and exploring new perspectives of creativity. All with the goal to help fuel a more rich and informed discussion that provides teachers, administrators, and emerging scholars with the information they need to infuse creativity into teaching and learning. So let's begin. Hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we have Peter Wachtel, who teaches architecture and product innovation design at Adolfo Camarillo High School in Camarillo, California. He was a 2019 winner of the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools Teaching Excellence Prize and 2022 California ACTE CTE Teacher of the Year, 2023 Guinness World Record Holder, oh, I can't wait to talk about that, of the longest charcuterie board in the world. How how big do you think that is, Matt? We're going to wait and see. He has taught design at the college level at MIT, Pratt Institute, Parsons School of Design, and Otis College of Art and Design for more than 20 years. Wachtel teaching after a 30-year career in the toy and entertainment industry is the former president of the Southern California Toy Association, a published author of two books, and has been a toy and product design inventor, director at companies such as Marvel and Six Flags. So, Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Cindy, and and Matt as well. It's, It's a pleasure to be here. Before we get into the conversation, I, I'm going to share my ignorance. I don't know what a charuterie board is, so I couldn't even answer your question, Cindy. I know, I know. I'm charcuterie board, basically, it's a long board that has cheeses and meats and different kinds of appetizers on it. So when you present or have people over, it's a great party dish kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So now that we're on this, how big do you think the Guinness World Record holder of the largest charcuterie board, which he did with his students, which we're going to learn about. How big do you think that is? Hmm, am I allowed to ask a question? I mean, are we talking about soppressata, cheese, or are we talking about like big slices of pizza on it? Well, actually, Guinness was very particular of things that they had to do. And since you being from England or London or that United Kingdom, they are very particular with things. So basically, cheeses, meats, um, olives, uh, cured meats, uh, no pizza, no donuts, nothing like that. Um, so basically it had to be those things. So five different kinds of cheeses, three different kinds of meats, and all that arranged nicely on the board. Just under five feet. That's the largest charcuterie board you think in the world? Yeah, I can see I'm getting myself into massive trouble. Take us out of our misery, Peter. Just a little short. You're, you're short by about 202 feet and four inches. Wow. So how are they carrying it? So here's a little thing about it. Um, so basically run up, adding up to be about 207 feet, four inches, give or take, and about 67 yards on a football field. So what we did is we built it into 33 foot sections and we used our old, um, gym bleachers 
And of course, we didn't use them as they were, but they were wooden gym bleachers. And what we did is we planed them, sand them down, recoded them, cleaned them, polished them, made really nice 33 foot sections. And then we carried them like 12 or 13 students at a time down the steps, down to the stadium, the football stadium. And then we assembled them all together there on tables with tents. And since Guinness being so particular that they are, they all had to be tented. Um, it all had to be lined up perfectly. So it was quite the quite a feat. That's incredible. And, and, you know, Cindy and I, we've had a few guests on the show talk about these absolutely amazing immersive projects associated with design. So just to back up a little bit, how, how did you get into kind of product design and inventing in the per- first place? And then I'm interested to see how you transitioned into bringing that experience into a classroom environment. Oh, that's an excellent question. A lot of people ask me that as well. So as you may or may not know, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, or Amherst. Woohoo! Go Bills! Yeah, well, hopefully, yeah, because they keep making me mad each year. But um, (laughs) hopefully this is the year. So I started off just like any other kid, you know, baseball, basketball, hockey, because hockey's on the East Coast. But I love to tinker with things. So I'd get a bicycle, and I'd take it apart. I'd repaint it, restyle it. You know, as the age of like seven and up, I would do that. I got in a lot of trouble. I took our lawnmower apart and made a go-kart out of it. And I think my dad is still mad at me about that. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, I had an interesting um, high school experience too. You know, I got in a little trouble in high school and didn't do that well the first couple of years. And then I realized at one point that um, high school is really about like 24 job interviews and 24 different bosses as you go through grades 9 through 12. And the students, what they might not realize is that, yeah, you might not need everything that you have in those classes or you might not use them. But when you get older, it will be nice to draw upon like, yes, I had a little sampling of this or that, and you can actually use in your life. So for example, if you don't do well in English or math or pay attention, when you really have a great idea, you won't be able to communicate it effectively. And it shows you through attendance, tardiness, discipline, grades, how you'll do in the real world because you've had good teachers and some maybe not as great teachers and you've had hard classes and easy classes. And it's sort of like the real world with, with jobs and things like that. And how I bring that into the classroom is basically I take anything that's around you and make it worthy of exploration and, and discovery and just be curious about things that are outside the world. So like with the Guinness World Book of Records um, Chartreuse Board, we were just thinking something, what can we do that would you know benefit our community, the students, the school, the state, put us on the map and be good for creativity, skilled trades, as well as STEM and STEAM. I know there's a lot of uh, different things in there, but what we did is we, you know, we could build it. We had to coordinate it logistically, um, but also we learned from each other teamwork, collaboration, design, uh, working with other entities. And at the end, we also had to have people put this food onto the chartreuse board. And we couldn't use our own school because it would be a little bit of nepotism because, of course, our school wants to be great. So we had to find a culinary program at Arrival High School. And we had 24 of their culinary students come and help put all the chartreuse board stuff on the board. And then, of course, we had to have food safe and California standards and health department and all that fun stuff. So at the end, it really does take a village to raise a bunch of kids. But it was amazing because the students like realized this is bigger than a lot of things. And it's how the world works. If you have a company, there's a lot of things that go into it. So that's pretty. That's one example of how I bring creativity into the classroom and draw a little bit on my experiences from when I was in high school. 
So how many students did you have involved overall in that? Probably all together. I had 50 main students that worked on the board every day. But as the total goes, probably about 124 total students work on the board, the food, the logistics, the cleanup, the food you know, preparation and display on the chartreuse board as well. Yeah, so it was, it was an ongoing deal. It was like, you know, if you had a business, you had your main people and then you had the extras and all that stuff. But yeah, about about 124. And then did you invite the community to come and enjoy it? What did you do with all that food? Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, it was it was a huge event. So we had in the local papers, ABC, NBC, Fox, everybody, you know, aired it in the morning. We actually had news crews at this high school from 6am all the way through. Uh, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, we invited the community um, to come and eat and all that stuff and see that. But there was, that was the other stipulation with Guinness is that we couldn't have people just come down the bleachers and start eating, you know, crazy style because contamination and stuff like that. So what we had to do is our catering students, they basically had to wear gloves and all that stuff. We just boxed them up into the go boxes and handed them to them over the fence. And then they could take them, you know, eat them in the stands or take them home or whatever they had to do it. So that was another little hurdle to jump over, but it worked out great. It was a huge success. When you hear these types of projects, you know, it, it's great because you're, you're physically making this product. But when you go and get it out into the community, Cindy had referenced community, there's so many other challenges as you've just been talking about. So I'm, I'm, because that's that real world experience in my mind. It's not just a case of making something. It's when that something interacts with an environment involving people outside the classroom. So what I'm curious about is as you were putting this to get together and more importantly, the event itself, how much did you involve your students in all of the problem solving and planning that had to probably go about given all of, all of the challenges that you were facing? That's, that's a really good question as well. So I involved them in every aspect of what I was doing, not necessarily decision-wise, because I had to send all the emails myself. I couldn't have them just randomly send emails to Guinness and stuff. Um, but basically I said, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking. And we had a good probably two, three months of planning. So that in that stage, we were actually contacting Guinness. I was showing them the emails, what Guinness was writing back, like, here's the criteria we have to meet. Guinness also charges a fee. If it's something simple like, how many bubbles you can blow in a you know in a minute that you could just do on your phone and there's no fee at all. However, if you need an adjudicator to come there and witness it and record it, you need a lot more kinds of proof to do that, and they charge a fee, and it ranges really pretty much starting at about fifteen thousand dollars all the way up to whatever. Um, so we had to get the adjudicator there. But what I did is I said, hey. How wide should this board be? How thick should this board be? How long do you think we should, you know, make it to the students? And like, how, what should we do with this? And I said, here's all the food that we have to put on it. And it, I showed Guinness's, you know, um, list of things that they had to have on it. And then we actually reached out to the students' parents as well as the community local restaurants and said, hey, could you donate any of the, you know, chartery food, meats, cheeses, olives, and stuff like that? However, we also had it keep in mind that because it was getting warmer out, it was in March, um, we couldn't just have the food sitting at the school for two or three weeks. We had to have it come that day, fresh, unopened, untouched. So I said, you see all these logistics that are going in there? How it translates to your education is like, let's say you're going to go to college or university later on. You have to start the planning process early. You can't just graduate. Here it is. It's May or June. and like, I'm ready to go. It's like, 
you have to contact the colleges, see what they offer, what they're going to do, how much the tuition is, are there scholarships available, is there you know, financial aid available, what's the campus like, what are the community like, what you know you could do with it. So they're starting to see that there are big projects out there that we do in class that it's all tied together. There's math. You had to do all the math for all the fees we had to pay. You had to do the research. You had to do the creativity, the building part. So it really, they started seeing a lot like, wow, that's a lot of stuff. And I go, well, that's, that's what happens when you, you know, get into the real world. And um, there is no second chances. You miss the event or, you know, you don't get the record. It's over and your money's gone. I go, but that's, that's the way it is, you know? You get a job, you might get let go. You know, you get a car, you might get in a car accident. But it shows them that the amount of effort and planning and preparation they do actually could pay off really big at the end. I love how big this is in scope. I mean, I've always had a dream. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, I've always had a dream of breaking a world record for the for the Guinness Book because I remember as a kid getting like one of the, the book each year and reading through it and saying someday I'm going to do something big. So I love that idea of doing something that big with your students, and I commend you for an incredible job on that. And I saw the pictures on the web, which we'll link to in our show notes. And one of the reasons I do this Guinness thing too is that for some reason my Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, they they. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do this. is my own Super Bowl for me. If I could do this, Josh, you could bring a Super Bowl home to Buffalo, right? Um, You know, and it sort of worked out for me because I was pretty disappointed um, that they just couldn't bring it through. It's just basically a challenge. There's something out there, and I wanted to show the students that even if you think something's impossible, if you just nip at it little pieces at a time, you could get there. You can't do it all at once, it's impossible. But if you plan it out, you do little steps each time, it works out great. And at the same time, you're doing this Guinness board. I like to throw in extra things, you know, like on food challenges, it's like, oh, here's a challenge, surprise, you know, kind of thing. So one thing we also did while we're doing the Guinness that wasn't related to it is there is, we have a UCLA um, Mattel Children's Hospital here in Los Angeles, and they have, you know, special kids that are in there that uh, have different kinds of, you know, problems with them. So we ended up making over 100 wooden toy cars for Mattel's Children's Hospital at UCLA. Um, and then we had them delivered there and stuff like that. So that was neat too. So they're seeing another big picture of what they do can really impact people, society, you know, for the better. And there's no political tie-ins to it. It's just you're making toys for kids. You're doing a Guinness board, you know, just to show, you know, what you can do and learn things. So there's no agenda except just to do it and and help people. So it's really been fun. Going back to my my point of, I love the fact that it's big. I also wonder for those teachers who are listening that say, I just don't have the time to take on such a massive project. How could they take what you've done and do it on a much smaller scale? So what recommendations would you have for that? That's a good question too. I mean, there's probably two or three different kinds of teachers. You know, there's the ones that are super focused. There's ones that are a little more creative, take a little more time. And there's a couple that are a little both. You can approach Guinness or any other kind of big project in two ways. You could do a big project and just narrow it down to smaller chunks. You know, like this week we're doing this or this month we're doing this and that, and that. And that's what we did with the Guinness thing. We literally plan prepared for over four or five months because we knew we were going to do it in March because December is too cold. June's too hot. So we plan it all in little chunks. Other than that, if you want to do a Guinness or any kind of huge project like that, let's say just for Guinness sake, have the students come up on their own 
like his assignment, what would you do for a Guinness World Record? And keep it PG-13, obviously. You know, like how many bubbles can you blow? And see if you could tie it into the program, the class, the school somehow. Like is it STEM? Is it STEAM? Is it an English thing? Um, is it something for football or cheer or, or any kind of sport? And think of something that's short and quick. Like like here's an example I saw on a couple of Guinness sites. It's like they'd have the school mascot. How many high fives can school mascot get in one minute? And they had the whole track team running around the mascot giving high fives. So it's great for the school. It's great for the community, collaboration. You get everybody, you know, pumped for the school. And they set the world record, you know, and it, they can video it. So it's, you know, they can replay it back. You don't need the adjudicator. You don't have to pay that 15 grand. And that's the other thing I want to touch a little about the 15 grand. We had donations. We had to do a GoFundMe. So I don't just have $15,000 I throw at it. But everyone who did participate on the board, they got a little chunk of it, and it was laser etched in with their name on it, Guinness World Record, long as you have to reboard the date and all that. And they had a little piece of history. But for other teachers that want to do something like this at a smaller scale, look up current records, look at things that are easy to break, um, Google it. It's pretty easy. Watch them or follow them on social media and see what things might tie into what you do in class. And even if it's just a simple project and you don't make it, it's still fun. It's like these kids can literally now put on their resume when they go to college, like I was part of the Guinness World Record Longest Chartreuse Board or the Toy Project or things like that. So that's my advice for teachers is just either break into small chunks or find something quick and easy to try. And, and I feel like it's not just teachers we're targeting, the, the entire school community. I mean, you've, we, you know, Cindy's referenced it, you've referenced the word community multiple times in all of this. And I think there's something special about identifying, like setting a goal, like breaking a world record as a community and collaborating across disciplines, in your case, Peter, across schools. I can't help but think that particularly maybe for small towns that are looking to promote a sense of community within their town or, or, or city. This type of activity seems like something that schools could lead the way in doing. Oh, absolutely. I think it, that's that's the main reason we did. Camarillo is a small town. It's like the size of Amherst, Grand Island, some upstate, you know, New York kind of you know, like cities, but um, it doesn't have to be a Los Angeles, New York City kind of thing. But yeah, it's basically if they want a little bit extra for their school for pride and community and bringing the whole town together, this is a great opportunity to do it. Whatever it is, it could be Guinness, it could be making toy cars, it could be anything. Like for instance, um, or example, like if I was still in Buffalo, New York, Fisher Price is over there. I would totally collaborate with Fisher Price, bring them into my classroom, have them talk to my students, design fictitious kind of products for Fisher Price, have Fisher Price give my students, you know, valuable feedback about what's going on. What what is the toy industry all about? What what happens in it? What like how does the toy get from A to Z? And we do that on an ongoing basis. We bring outside companies into the classroom. Um, we've had Ford, BMW, Santa Barbara Zoo, Universal Studios, Mattel, Six Flags, and the students design projects for them. And then we go over there field trips and all that. And then they design things based on criteria. And then those you know members at those companies they give feedback to the students like hey that's great or have you thought about this so i love the real world experience and just showing that there's a lot of students when they grow up or high school they think that's the whole world is that town that they live in and it's really not and if you collaborate and work with companies or do these kind of big projects they start to see 
wow, if you leave the city limits, there's a whole nother world out there and there's a whole nother high school. And then you move to the next town and it's a whole nother thing. So I think these kind of projects are really important for kids just to see a bigger picture of the world. Just, just one final question, Peter. I understand the soft skills piece, but you know, as you reflect back on the project, were there any kind of like uh, skills that students developed that you know benefited other classes, particularly in the core subjects like math, science, English, ELA? Yeah, absolutely. So they had to learn a lot of math, like how are we going to get this board out the door? So a little physics. We have a board that's 207 feet long. Like, how are you going to get out of a room that's like... So there was interesting things like that. When they also do other projects similar to Guinness, they have to write proposals to these companies. So they'll actually get up in front and say, hey, this is my idea for you know, a theme park building or whatever. So they learn not only soft skills, but they learn to fine-tune their writing, uh, math skills to make sure all the measurements are right. They learn eye-hand coordination with the skills and the power tools that they use. They have to learn to cut, drill, sand, polish, paint. So they have some really good skills. So like if you said, oh, I want to eventually build a shelf for my house, they could do that. Um, so they get the whole scene in there. They learn new technology. So we have 3D printers and um, online modeling 3D software. So they're learning the whole technology part as well. So I try to give them as, as much of a well-rounded education through STEAM or STEM as I possibly can. And they touch upon different kinds of subjects um, throughout the process of the projects. Do you want to bring more creative and critical thinking into your school? Look no further than our podcast sponsor, Curiosity to Create. Curiosity to Create is a nonprofit organization dedicated to engaging professional development for school districts and empowering educators through online courses and personal coaching. And if you're craving a community of creative educators who love new ideas, don't miss out on their creative thinking network. Get access to monthly webinars, creative lesson plans, and a supportive community all focused on fostering creativity in the classroom. To learn more, check out curiositytocreate.org or check out the links in the show notes for this episode. Peter, at the end of every episode, we ask all of the people that we interview, what three tips would you give to educators to help them bring creativity into their classroom? So number one, bring outside influences into the classroom. So number one, outside industry, bring a toy company in. Bring a, a company that's local in your town or community and to talk to the students to explain what goes on in a business every day, to show how the, all the different parts and pieces are working for that company, to show the students how those things all go together into one business so that kids could understand, even though they have English, math, science, physics, or whatever in a day, and they're like, how are these all related? Bringing industry into your classroom is really great to actually show them to do that. Another tip I would say is, Instead of just raising the roof, just take the roof off. Let anything happen. Do sort of like a brainstorm session. Um, come up with ideas that are just crazy, like doing a Guinness World Book of Records thing. And then say, here's how we're going to do it, how we're going to do that like that. And keep the ideas open and flowing, and then start narrowing them down. And then I guess the final tip I would say is no matter what you know or how you know it, be open to reteach yourself and relearn things, how you actually produce them. Um, so if you're a teacher or whatever you are, just be open to new ideas and bring in things that um, challenge you and make you a little scared each day to try it. 
but it opens you up to more possibilities. There is no right or wrong way to do a lot of things. There's different ways. You see that, for example, with football teams and Super Bowls, the Bills just can't figure out what that is. But there isn't any one way. So I change my teaching around all the time. Like I'll ask the students, what should the project be? And then I bring that in well. So those three things I think are great things for teachers to think about. Well, Peter, I have to say, I really enjoyed hearing your story. And I know you have so many more stories that you could share with us about your work in the toy industry. Um, and I know we had a Jell Wade, who was another toy designer on the show. So if you haven't heard that episode and you liked Peter's episode, I think you'll also like that episode. But what I really think is interesting is sort of breaking the paradigms of what we see as school. And there's so many conversations right now about education and what it should be. And I think your example is just a beautiful one for showing the world what education should look like. So kudos to you for doing something bold and brilliant and big. And I think we need to do more of that and and not be afraid to do those things and take on, on those challenges and have the students leading the way. Oh, thank you, Cindy and Matt. Yeah, it's basically what I did is I took my experience as a toy designer, a theme park designer, and I just watered it down for high school and brought that in there and used some of my contacts for that. Um, I showed them some of my inventions and things that I've done, but they see that really, if you just have a dream and an idea and you work hard at it, you really could do anything you want to do in, in life. It just takes grit and perseverance and just keep going through it. But I hope this helps a lot of teachers or just opens up ideas for, for projects and class things in education. Well, I think that brings our interview with Peter to a conclusion. Um, I will add that uh, my family have finally chosen their NFL team. I will say that the Bills were on the list, but unfortunately, we did select the Giants. There was a number of factors that went in, and I'm pretty comfortable with our decision. But... I learned enough to know that this could be the Bills year, maybe next year. They're definitely in a good place. And I want to let you know we did think about them. So if you have any questions for Cindy and I or um, ideas for potential guests or topics that you'd like to explore, please reach out to us at questions at fuelingcreativitypodcast.com. My name is Dr. Matthew Werwood. And my name is Dr. Cindy Burnett. This podcast was produced by Matthew Warwood and Cindy Burnett and edited by Sina Yousafzadeh. The episode was sponsored by Curiosity to Create. 